0: This is fun, being at a 10 a.m. without an 8 Uh, a.m. If you're a normal 8 a.m. person, give me a wave. Yeah, I see you. Didn't you feel a bit weird, like... Has the day even like you're waiting for church at 10 a.m. And you just don't know quite what to do with yourself for two hours. Um, But you're here at the 10 a.m. And uh, I'll let you in on a secret. Considering being the online gathering, uh, it's amazing to know that it's not just about gathering in this room. But we get together across the city. We got to do that last week, uh, all being online. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that we still get this opportunity uh, to see each other face to face like this. Uh, That is my prayer. But we're going to be finishing up uh, series. Series, looking at the book of Habakkuk. And I, I've loved this series because it is a hectic conversation between the prophet Habakkuk and God. And he really, I'll give you a quick recap. He gives you two questions that Habakkuk will run through and he will fire at God. And actually, in the midst of it, we finish in this chapter three. And it might not finish where you expect. The two questions are his very first one, James hit this in week number one, is God, why are you tolerating wickedness? Why are you tolerating what I'm seeing in the world, the brokenness of it, the, the destruction of it, the, your people are suffering, you're not doing anything. And God's answer to Habakkuk is, I am, I've got a plan, it's going to shock you, and you're not going to like it. And he gives him the, the playbook. He says, actually, I am raising up an enemy people. I'm allowing them to raise up in power so that they will judge you, my chosen people, for your wickedness, to bring you back into alignment with me. Was the Babylonian empire a savage people? Habakkuk obviously doesn't like that answer, and so his second question comes to God. How could you use them? They're far worse than us. They're not chosen like we are. Do you know how much evil they do? And God's answer is very simple. This is the way I do it, I get to make that call, and I will judge them for their judgment of you. I understand their wickedness, but I also want to deal with the wickedness that is present in you. And it gets to Habakkuk chapter 3. And amazingly, this chapter is actually a prayer. It's actually a recorded uh, song of praise and prayer from the prophet Habakkuk. And you might think that's a bit of an odd place to go. That's a bit of an odd end to a fiery book. But I think it's such a beautiful end because we wouldn't be shocked. We could understand if Habakkuk turned around and said, well, God, I'm done. I've had enough. But he actually comes to God in prayer and prays. In chapter three, he gives us the most beautiful picture, the most raw picture, the most real picture of what it looks like to have real faith, to actually walk out a relationship with God. Because we know it's not all sunshine and rainbows. That the walk of faith is actually one that is raw, that is real, that is messy. Because the walk of faith is one where we will wrestle with God. Where we will struggle in the midst of it. But it's a, it's a pursuit of God. Understanding that sometimes we get ahead. We go too fast. Sometimes we lag behind and we have to find ourselves uh, moving in step with God. It's not the other way around. And Habakkuk comes to this part and this point. And this key ingredient, in the midst of his relationship with God, is this aspect of faith. And so he ends giving us this picture, and I gave this message the the title, What Real Faith Looks Like. That's all gonna be our focus today. Now when we talk about faith, we often speak about hope. We are City Hope Church. We often talk about the misunderstanding of hope in the Bible. And there is also a misunderstanding of faith because faith, like hope, is not just finding the good in a bad situation. It's not just some form of positive thinking. It actually is not uh, absent of doubt. Faith is actually, as you look at it in the Bible, is trusting God enough to do what he says he will do. Faith in the Bible actually is trusting that we will trust his heart even when we can't trace his hand. Where we trust in who he is, Even when we don't understand what he is or isn't doing, trusting and having faith in the fact that actually we're set up that we don't give up. We wouldn't be shocked if Habakkuk got to the end of chapter two and gave up. But in chapter three, he gives us a picture of this real faith that doesn't give up. I'm gonna read a big chunk. Of chapter three, we're actually going to go through the entire thing, so I hope you are strapped in, ready to go, seatbelt on, because uh, I'm going to hit a big chunk up up front. 15 verses. Are you ready? Yeah. 10 a.m. I'm going to need a little bit more. Are you ready? Yeah. There we go. 8 a.m. People, like you, got to got to help us here. It starts out like this in chapter three: A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shignoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. I said this is a song of praise. So understand, it's gonna read like a psalm. It even will have three sellers in the midst of this chapter. Moments where it actually, Selah means to praise. It's a moment to stop and reflect on what is being said. And we actually see Habakkuk's praise of God. I want you to listen to it like that. Continues His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like light. Rays flashed from his hands, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on horses on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you and writhed. the raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice, it lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying bare from thy To neck, seller. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of the of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Father God, as we jump into this message today, it's my prayer that as we look at this picture of Habakkuk's real faith, the raw, beautiful, messy faith in the context of changing times, but looking to the great unchanging God of his people, the God of his salvation. Lord, would you turn our hearts, where we are unclear, where we are unsure, unsure, would you put us on that sure foundation? Would you set our focus? Would you set our faith, the gift that you give us? Would you set it on you as the object of it? The one to carry us forward, to bring all mercy, all grace, all understanding to us. Would you be over my words, Would this be your message, not mine? And I pray this in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. I hope you see how it read like a psalm. I hope you see the worshipful song of Habakkuk as he comes to God with prayerful heart. And that's really gonna be our focus today. As we look at this picture of what real faith looks like, there's four things I wanna pull out in what I believe Habakkuk's real faith is showing us today. The first one is this. Number one, real faith prays first. It starts out verse one, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. He could have done anything, but he chooses to pray first. See, when we're in distress, when we're in frustration, when we're struggling, when we get to the space where all we want to do is complain, my question is, what do we do first? Because what you do first will highlight two things. It will highlight priority and it will highlight value. The thing you do first, you put priority on. You say, this is the most important thing. And it also highlights the value because there's a thousand things you could do, but you choose not to, you choose to do this thing. And I question sometimes, I question my own heart. When I'm frustrated, when I'm confused, when I am in that zone where all I wanna do is complain, is my first reaction, is my first action, my first focus to come to God and pray. Now, it doesn't matter about the disposition of your prayer. I want to tell you that now. You can come to prayer just as Habakkuk did, complaining, angry, frustrated. Or you can come in prayer with reverent awe. It doesn't matter how you come. The encouragement is that we would come to him, that we would open up the conversation. Because what is God's most important, what is the thing he prioritizes, the thing he values? He values relationships. If there is no talking, if there is no conversation, if the communication lines are down, relationship can't move forward. And it's so important because God is always communicating with us. The communication from his side never stops even when we aren't perceiving it. The question is, are we the people who are gonna take the first step to prioritize our conversation with God? Will we come to him like Habakkuk and will we come in prayer? It's five quick benefits of prayer I wanna, I wanna touch on here. Now there's a million benefits in prayer. But five that I think we see in Habakkuk is, and the first two are very connected. Number one, prayer helps you let God be God. Prayer helps you let God be God. When you come to that moment where you're frustrated, angry, whatever disposition you have, but you, you say, actually, the circumstance is too big. I'm gonna hand it over. There's an act of faith there in saying, hey, God, would you be God? Because I can't do this. Number two is prayer lets you be you. It puts us in right place, in right position. Hey, God, I actually can't handle this because when I, I go down a road of hopelessness, I go down to that space where all I can do is give up. And yet in this act of faith and come in and prayer to converse with our God, letting him be God, saying, God, would you handle it? It allows us to be us. Because it's now not about our plan, it's about his plan. It's not about our position, it's about the position he holds. It's not about our power, it's about his and so the amazing thing in prayer is that it has so many more benefits because it puts us in right position. Number three is it centers and deepens relationship. I said communication lines open up. What's gonna happen to a relationship? Only positive things. You wanna make progress when you commune with the creator God. Number four is prayer is a release valve. I don't know about you this time of year. This is where I find myself. I get into a high pressure, high stress, it's been a hectic year, we're on the back end of it, we're seeing a little bit of respite coming, we're seeing a bit of a holiday coming, we're seeing a bit of a rest period coming, and it doesn't do very good because as the pressure and the stress begins to raise, it feels like there's something that needs to release. I keep warning everyone around me, uh, our staff, family, friends, when I get into this zone, my fuse gets very short. Is anyone with me here? Anyone, like, anyone have that moment where it's like, listen, the the fuse is not as long as it usually is, and something very small might just trigger it, might just set it off. And so we try to find a release valve. The problem we have is so often our release valve is a, a sense of escapism, and so we try release in many other things, whether that's substance, whether that's activity. The amazing thing about prayer is prayer can become that release valve, and it's, it sets us up so well because it does this. Number five is prayer actually helps us transfer burden. When the pressure is building, when the burden is is crushing into us, when there is this weight of responsibility and circumstance, prayer has the amazing ability to help us transfer that unto God so that it's no longer pressing in on us. Burden is is an interesting thing when you talk about a human heart. When we are burdened, when we are heavy laden, it's amazing how we don't see the world as we should. We don't think through things as we should. Emotionally, we don't process as we should. And it's so important that we live this life, we walk this road of faith unburdened so that we can see and hear from our God. Burden's also an interesting thing because you generally, when it comes to burdens, you get two types of people. You get those who are irresponsible, with burden, you get those who are overly responsible with burden, because there are burdens in this life that we will carry, but the irresponsible person is the person who actually will always transfer their burden, but they transfer it to someone else. and transfer it to God. It's not, it's, I, a problem comes, I'm immediately just gonna make it someone else's problem, and so they're quite irresponsible in that, even with the stuff that should be their burden alone. I'm sure there's someone in your life right now you can think of that's like that, And the problem is they target the other side, the overly responsible people. Because those are the people that makes everyone else's burden their burden. And some of those burdens actually don't need to be yours. And then you have a very special category. And it's probably a bigger category than we make it out to be. But there are burdens that literally we cannot carry on our own. And God is saying, those are God-sized burdens. Would you transfer them over to me? Prayer is always going to be a moment where we have that release felt, that release of pressure. But amazingly, God's got a heart for us and He says, I can take that burden from you. The situation might not change. It puts us in a space where we can be content in peace and we can be content in chaos, knowing that the burden's not ours to carry alone. God's there. Second thing real faith. Number two, real faith stands on God's word, it stands on God's truth from verse two to verse 15 as we read. What you actually are reading there and what you actually are, are, are working through is a reflective Bible study that Habakkuk has gone on. I know it's a psalm. I know it looks like it's a worshipful song. That's how he, he, he's encased it. But actually, it's, it's a journal entry in his Bible study. Because what Habakkuk has done, and you see it in the midst of all those geographic locations that get mentioned, He's actually reflecting back on a time where God did something very special with the people of God. He actually is reflecting on the Exodus. When it says in verse three, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, it's talking about all these key geographic locations in the midst of the Exodus. And so Habakkuk is reflecting on this and out of that comes this song of praise because what Habakkuk will do is think back in the midst of what's going on in the now, a present reality where he knows the oppression of the Babylonians is coming upon us, he thinks back, I wonder what it would be like to live there. And he thinks, but this isn't the first time this has happened to God's people. There was a time where they fell under the oppression of the Egyptians and God saved them and took them out. In the book of Exodus, the nation of Israel was merely a family chosen by God. And for 400 years, they would stay in Egypt and where they started out as a family, they would come out a nation of millions. But in that period, they also would have a political change because they come in with political favor, but then there's some upheaval and they actually get enslaved. And so for 400 odd years, they actually are under, uh, under oppressions in slavery held by the Egyptians. And in that oppression, they call out to God, would you save us? And he does, he brings Moses, he defeats Pharaoh, and he saves his people. He delivers them from their enemies and it speaks to the heart of Habakkuk as he thinks back on that time as he reflects on God's truth, reflects on who God is and what God has done and it speaks greatly to his situation, his circumstance and it leads him to the point of of worship and praise. I want you to know this. If you're in the midst of a circumstance right now where things are unclear, where things are unsure, know that God is a sure foundation. That actually he he has given us his word, that he has given us his truth. When we look at who he is and what he does, we can find great encouragement in the now, in the present, knowing that our God is faithful. If you're in the midst of something where you desperately need the wisdom of God, I want you to know he is the wise king who cares, and he gives these gifts of truth. He gives us gifts of his wisdom in situations where it's unclear what we should be doing. Number three is this. Real faith values relationship over routine. Now, we're a people, as humans, we love routine. Now, I don't wanna just bag on it, it's not all bad. Some help for helpful, it leads us into discipline, it puts structure into things. But so often when we take routine and we put it into relationship, it can sometimes be death. Because instead of a relationship being based on personal connection and growth between two people or between us and God, what happens? We put in a set of routines, a set of processes, and suddenly we lose connection. And so routine can either build or break relationship. It's the same in our relationship With God, I mean, this is the reason you can look at so many examples. Maybe it's a bit of a cliche, but the truth is we know it happens. You will have married couples who go through decades of being married, and they get to the point of being empty nesters, and suddenly they're getting divorced. Why is that? The relationship had been built on a set of routines, a set of, hey, we have kids. Hey, we do this. This is the routine we are in and they don't realize over those decades, they lose connection, and they get to the point where the routines have been taken away because the kids are out the house, and suddenly go, there's no relationship here. And so you get an empty nest divorce. And we get shocked, but the truth is, death was brought to the relationship through routine. Again, don't get me wrong, there is helpful routine. There is discipline that can help us along the way. But the test should be, does this routine build or does it break relationship? Because relationship should be the thing that we value the most. Relationship should be the thing we prioritize. Please tell me, it should be messy and unstructured and not a routine as long as relationship's there. Because the moment we put routine into it, it better be helping the relationship. It better be helping connection. Otherwise, cut it out. The problem with Habakkuk, is he had a routine and his routine actually was a set or a a, a self-determined way that God should act, a self-determined process that God should go through. And so when that gets shaken up by changing times and changing circumstances, what Habakkuk finds is his so-called relationship with God comes out to be very shallow, only an inch deep. When you shake up the routine, when the routine gets pulled you find that this is the space where there's a struggle. And God's answer to Habakkuk, and Habakkuk says to him, God, get into my routine. Work in my structure, go with my process. God says, I'm not about routine or process or structure, I'm about relationship. (laughs) Would you come into this space? Would you draw near to me, draw close to me? The question is, how do we move from routine to relationship? I think the answer is we need to disrupt routine so that we can prioritize relationship. We need to actually disrupt and disassemble routine in order to value, prioritize, and build relationship. I actually, uh, in the midst of uh, these notes, I have on the very next line, I have star personal story highlighted blue the AV guys know it's my color code system. Highlighted blue, personal story. And it's so funny, I had sent these notes to our preaching team just for some comment. We do that every single week um, to ensure that we are giving you the best possible quality we can, that we're sticking to the word, that we're elevating truth, that we're putting it in front of you as best we can. And a comment I got from James was, dude, loved it, here's some comments, da da, da, da. Oh, I saw you included a personal story. I don't know what the personal story is, but it's a, it seems like a good place for it. And the funny thing is, James didn't know. I don't even know what the personal story was. I just put it in there and said, well, I'll work it out later. I'll give you some behind the scenes. When you put in a preach together, it's important to bring a story sometimes. And sometimes it's, it fits nicely. It's a story that comes out, and it's like, well, it's happened, and God reveals truth, in you like, I'm going to use that somewhere, and, and God works it in. And there comes a moment where you're like, I feel like this needs a personal story. I don't even have one. And I wanna tell you, I'm not for making a story up. I get in that space and say, God, would you reveal it? Would you remind me of something? Would you reveal something? And God's never let me down. And it's so funny because in the midst of that, post those comments, I still had no idea what the story was. On Thursday night, Our son, Jaden, he's 19 months old. He uh, still sleeps with a dummy, he loves his dummy. Uh, Tommy Tippy one, all the parents know, you gotta stick with your brand, Uh, rep the brand. Tommy Tippy should really sponsor me, like we have done a lot. Um, He had actually broken two of his dummies, basically, because now he's got teeth uh, and he had broken them. And so he only had one remaining. And the one remaining went 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 for walkies on Thursday night. We could not find it anywhere. And it came to bedtime, which is the horror, because you now have a 19-month-old who wants to sleep but can't because the dummy's not there. And Nikita looked at me with those eyes of, I think we need to make a plan here. It's after hours. There's no shop open. There's nothing. And so I did what any parent's ever done. You look for the 24-hour pharmacy. And... Uh, The one at Flora Clinic didn't stock Tommy Tippy. Luckily, I phoned ahead to check. They didn't have it. So my only option was one thing just up the road here, Olive Dell, 24-hour pharmacy, I was like, it's gonna happen. And I thought, oh, this is actually, it's a bit of a drive. It's gonna be great because I can actually put some work into this preach. I often, when I'm preparing, I'll think it through. I'll talk it through. I talk out loud. I just talk to myself. I'm talking to Jesus, but it's okay. Um, And I was like, this is going to be great. I'm going to have a drive, a whole drive there, a whole drive back, just to talk about preach, talk it through, get my thoughts right. It's going to be amazing. I had set my routine for what this would look like. God, would you get on board with that? I'm doing a good thing. I'm preaching. I'm I'm going to speak to your people. Get on board with that routine. I want to tell you, from my house to Olivedale and all the way back to Olivedale, I didn't think about this preach once. Because... And it was put there by God. God gave me a thought. Hey, it's a good thing. Let's put on a worship song. And I did. And in the midst of that, it gripped a hold of me. And so for that entire experience, and I just want you to know, I got all the way there and they didn't have Tommy Tippy and only, only the pharmacy side was open, not the click side. So I couldn't get anything. It was a fail. Lord came through. We found the dummy, thank goodness, under a bed somewhere. But for that entire journey, I just got basically 45 minutes, which is rare, which is a a good thing to find 45 minutes in the midst of a toddler household. 45 minutes where I got to worship and I got to pray and I got to pray through stuff that I've been wanting to pray through that I haven't had time to, stuff that God was doing in my heart, stuff that I needed to work through and process, stuff that that was burdening me that needed to be transferred. And so for 45 minutes, in the midst of a routine that was planned, it got, it got disrupted, and it actually became a beautiful opportunity for relationship. And I think so many of us can get into that space where we have routines of schedule. And again, don't hear me wrong, there's disciplines and spiritual disciplines and, and all these things that are helpful. But if they break relationship, they shouldn't be there. And if you're stuck in the routine, I want to encourage you Let the routine get disrupted so that you can prioritize relationship because it's in relationship that we're connected. It's in in relationship that we get to go, you know, I know this is a back to basics message. I get it. But it's so important that you hear it. That's how important relationship is. Number four is this. Real faith worships in the gap. Habakkuk has this worshipful song, this worshipful psalm, this worshipful prayer throughout chapter three. And he very specifically records it like that. And I think he does it on purpose because intentionally God is wanting to say through this that in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of misunderstanding, in the midst of your complaints, you can still choose to worship God anyway. Look how he ends it, verse 16 to 19. This is his peculiar response. In verse 16, he says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. He ends this worship song, but I want you to notice the message of his song the message of these last few verses of the book of Habakkuk. He ends with basically talking about poverty or lack and he just stays there. I want to tell you, there are very few worship songs that talk about lack and poverty and just stay there. And yet from verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, like you're not going to find many Maverick City songs talking about though your fridge is empty and it's probably going to stay that way, though things are rubbish and, they, and and you're gonna be happy about it, I would probably struggle to preach after a song like that. He ends with that and then he turns his response and it's this peculiar response, it's this confusing response of, even in the midst of, I think things are gonna go bad, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He chooses to worship and I think it's so important that we don't miss this, that he doesn't actually choose to worship because the problem has been resolved. He actually gets turned to worship because relationship has been restored. He was stuck in routine. He was stuck in a earthly perspective. And through God's helping him toward relationship, what does he get? He gets godly perspective. That's why he actually says, hey, you get to be on my high places. It's meaning that worship has the power to change our perspective so that we don't look at situations from an earthly sense. We actually get put on the high place. We get a godly sense, a godly perspective. We get to look down on it from his vantage point so that it looks different to what it looks like down there. And so he gets to see it as it is. It is a temporary thing in light of eternity. He gets to see, actually, this thing is not that valuable here because that thing will end, but this is valuable because it goes into eternity. Worship will go into eternity. Struggle, circumstance, disease, these things will fade. God will deal. God will heal. God will bless. God will save. God will do what he wants to do. But what will be eternal is our worship of him. Worship really does help us Worship in the gap. And the gap is what happens between talk and action. What happens between the gap is what God has said he will do and him doing it. We have to keep ourselves busy, God knows. We can we can get wayward in the gap. And so he gives us worship to hold us steady in the midst of it. Worship's actually that thing um, where we get to stand on truth before truth plays out. I always say it, the, the strongest posture of a human heart is a worshipful posture. If you're feeling weak, can I just tell you, get into a posture of worship, which the world might look at and say, that's that's weakness. When you're on your knees, that's a weak position. Get, you're getting down low, that's a weak position. But God says, actually, that's the strongest position you can be in. I mentioned a few times now, this is probably the most basic elementary message on the back end of the probably one of the most fiery books uh, in the Minor Prophets. And I, 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 I'm not going to apologize for that. Because you might be sitting there going dunks on the, on the back end of this fiery conversation where it all goes. Are you trying to tell me that in, in the midst of changing times and the unsureness of, the, of, of this time, I need to turn toward the unchanging God and the way I do that is through doing these three things. Pray, read your Bible, worship. I could get that at City Kids. They have, they've got songs about it. Read your Bible, pray every day and you'll grow Grow, grow. Elementary, basic, but I don't think it's it's by mistake. Because in the midst of this time of year, maybe you're like me and that fuse has got a little bit short. Maybe you're in the midst of real routine, knowing, hey, holidays are coming, we need to get things sorted, getting into task mode. Maybe God's drawing your attention again to these basic things. They're basic, they're simple, but understand that they're profound. And I don't act like they're easy. Because the truth is, do we pray first in every situation? Or do we plan first? Or do we try to sort it out ourselves first? And only when we get to the end, do we go to God? Do we stand on His truth in every situation? Do we dive deep into His Word? Do we know it so well so that in every day, every circumstance, every struggle, every question, we get an answer where it actually brings insight and revelation through His truth? Do we do that every single time Probably not. And can we easily choose to worship God even when we don't know what's going on? Can we easily choose to worship God in the midst of the darkness of a circumstance and situation? If we have to be honest with ourselves, those are simple, basic things. But the impact they have and walking it out is very real and raw and messy. And I think God's calling us back to put the first things first, to put the basic simple things first because what it will do is set us up for relationship. It's what set Habakkuk up. And I want you to notice this because there's a challenge I believe in his worshipful heart for us. Notice he doesn't worship for reward. It's not like hey worship and it will come right. Worship and you will get healthy. Worship and you'll get rich. Worship and you'll save your marriage. He actually says, you know what, God, I'll worship you anyway. Even if this ends badly. He actually, he he literally is saying, Lord, I think this is going to end badly. I think Babylon's going to come. I think they're going to oppress us. I think they're going to destroy us. I think they're going to lay waste to us, but I'll still worship you. And he was right. Because after the book of Habakkuk, a few years later, Babylon does rise up, they lay waste to Judah, they carry them into exile, and for 50 plus years, a whole generation would die in exile, taken away from their home. A whole new generation would be born under oppression. And God would judge Babylon, and he would bring them back. But even in the midst of that circumstance and situation, Habakkuk says, I will worship you anyway. Because I don't worship you, worship you for what you do and what you do not do. I worship you for who you are. I worship you for the truth of who you are. I know your heart. And I know your heart is for me. And so even when I can't trace your hand, I will seek your face. I will worship you. The band can join me on stage because this is where I want to end. There was this little verse at the beginning of chapter three And I think it's actually the most important verse in the entire chapter. If you hear nothing else, you have to hear this verse. A few words. He says, in wrath, remember mercy. Lord, in your wrath, would you remember mercy? If you want to understand the gospel, if you want to understand the good news of Jesus, if you want to understand how God works, if you want to understand what real faith looks like, you need to understand the connection between wrath and mercy. Because wrath is, and I understand this is probably an unpopular message, saying, well, we actually serve a God of wrath. We do. And that's not popular because it sounds like we've got an angry God but it's so connected to his justice, to him making things right, and so connected to his holiness that we have to understand it in its right place. That actually we do have a God who sees the wrong in the world and has to bring his justice to it. That we have to see that this world is broken by a thing called sin, and it's present in all humanity. God loves sinners, but he hates sin. God's wrath will go out to against sin to correct it. And it's connected to his holiness because actually holiness is the number one characteristic attributed to God in all of scripture. More than his, him being loving, more than him being faithful, more than him, he is holy. And so he is set apart, he is perfect. And in the midst of the wrong of this world, the wrong that he did not create, but the wrong that he will correct, his wrath is built up against it because he's a father who sees the damage caused to his children by sin and he will put his wrath against that. He says, hey, Babylon will come and judge you, but understand my wrath will be built up against them for they are wicked. He says, in your wrath, and and Habakkuk accepts that his wrath is just and it is right because God is just. He says, in your wrath, remember mercy. Because God is just, but God is also merciful. See, mercy is is not getting what you do deserve. We deserve the wrath of God because of our sin. We deserve the wrath of God because me and you have gone uh, cosmically against God and His way, where we wanted to be the ones in charge, where we wanted to be the ones that called the shot. We wanted to be creator, not creation. And yet God will meet us in mercy because he will give us what we don't deserve. He gives us grace. And he holds back his wrath. But that mercy can only come through one thing, and that is Jesus. If you want to find Habakkuk, if you want to find the cross, if you want to find Jesus in the midst of this book, you find it in that Verse because in God's wrath that is just and good and sorts out sin and corrects every wrong and and takes away the damage of sin, disease, all that it brings, you find mercy. The one who sits on the mercy seat, and that's Jesus. He's the one who comes after us, pursues us. He is the only one worthy of praise. He's the truth that we stand on. And it's that that's on offer to every single one of us. Why don't you stand with me just before we worship? I don't know what's been speaking to you right now. I don't know where God's been poking at your heart, but I wanna make it very, very clear and overt that if you are someone that has not accepted the mercy of Jesus, today's the day. That actually, when we are not in Jesus, the wrath of God will rightly come against us, but in Jesus, that wrath changes the game, changes everything, because the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross to pay for our sins, so that in Him we don't get death, we get life. That in the death that He took, we receive full life. We receive the full payment for our sins, because He's the one who takes on the wrath of God for us. He's the one who sits on the mercy seat, who gives us a way out, who makes a way for restoration. I wanna encourage you, if you wanna take that step today, please do it. You can come up, chat to me, chat to Vaughn, chat to Si afterwards. We'd love to actually lead you into that. I don't wanna make it a quick little moment. I actually want that to be something that we do and we we focus on and understand what the, the immensity of that moment. And maybe if that's something you've already done, I want to encourage you, maybe there's something else that's spoken to you. Maybe you've got caught up in routine and God's saying, hey, I want to disrupt that to get into a relationship. Do you know where it starts? It starts right now as we worship in song. Because even in the midst of that routine, why don't you break the routine? Why don't you worship with everything you have? Why don't you choose to worship in the midst of uncertainty? Why don't you do something different to your routine? Don't just stand still like you normally do. Maybe this is the time you get brave and raise a hand break the routine in order to prioritize relationship God's speaking to you and me he's wanting to take us back to basics because he understands how profound it will change our faith and the walk we have with him it puts our focus back where it needs to be on God and God alone on his truth on his son on his gospel father God as we prepare ourselves right now in the midst of this message as we get into a song that declares the truth of who Jesus is, that he is the king of kings, that he holds the name that is higher than any other name, it's my prayer right now that we would elevate you to your right place, your, your, your seat of glory, understanding that you were the one who took the wrath of God for us, that we stand as grateful people, that the invitation for salvation is there, that there is joy available for us in the God of our salvation. And so, Lord, we will lift our voices. We will lift our hands. We will lift our lives, our hearts. We lift all that we have to the beautiful name of Jesus. Lord, would you be with us? Would you do business in our hearts? Would you reveal what only you can reveal? And would you lead us into our next step with courage empowered by your spirit? Let's worship together. I pray that God does business in in your heart right now. But let's really lift ourselves in worship to our great King Jesus.